so good to be here. And I want to take the most humble approach that I can. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to try to share a lesson from God's Word. I love each of you, and you've shown and expressed deep love and forgiveness to me, and I appreciate that more than you can ever know. And the prayers that go up for Mom and for Melanie, one of my sisters that's the caregiver now that Mom's moved in with her, continue to ask for prayers. It means a lot. Just like with the Townsends, with Sister Sherry taking care of her hubby. Um, it's what we're supposed to do. This life is not all there is, but we need comfort and consolation, and we get it most from our loved ones and our brethren. Lord willing, we're going to have a lesson on what is sin. The world, including psychologists, say, oh, it's a disease now. It's not something that you can correct. Uh, that's kind of an excuse. Well, metaphorically, it is a disease. It can be a problem. But uh, that's speaking metaphorically using figurative language. Sin is activity that is against the law of God. No matter whether you live back in the times of Adam and the law that God put in for him and Eve and those in the garden, or during the time God was still speaking directly to the heads of families and talking to Abraham, telling him what to do. To follow God's will is to do right, and to sin is to err from that path, willfully or ignorantly, as the case may be. Then prophets came along in the next dispensation, the Mosaical dispensation, and God didn't speak to all the heads of families, but rather spoke through Elijah and Samuel and others, and that was God's plan. But as Hebrews 1, 1 points out, that God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And Jesus is the Word. He's the Logos, John 1. And we look to his recording of what he said, and part of what he said was he wasn't going to give all of the New Testament. He was going to go on back to heaven and he was going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would guide the apostles into all truth. They would be reminded of everything Jesus had taught and they would be able to speak without studying the Bible because they would have the miraculous gift of the baptism of the Holy Ghost which they received on the Acts 2 Pentecost recorded in our Bibles. We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God in order to find out what is right and what is wrong in the New Testament dispensation. So while I urge us all, myself included, and I love the studies that we've been enjoying on Wednesday evening because of the richness of the Old Testament, we're not going to get confused that that was a different law, though, at that time, and Christ nailed that law to the cross. So we look to the New Covenant as to how we live. We look to the Old Testament as to how fair God is, how God is interested in His people, how God chastens his people while they're still alive and gets some more chance in his very long suffering, and then how God put his people into captivity. And then he'd pull them out again, and he'd punish the nation that had been the nation that took them captive. Because God is most fair. God is most righteous. God does something that we don't do enough of. He hates sin. He hates every false way. And we're supposed to be as God-like as we can. And I want to encourage myself and I want to encourage you to consider that we should look at sin like poison. <laughs> and was mentioned in last week's lesson, 
we have ways of escape, exit signs, some are very bright and, and others may be obscure, but there is always a way to escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We need to run for the exit when temptation comes and not flirt with sin. It's the devil's tool to try to damn our souls. So we have some definitions here, and I apologize if you can't see the charts. I'm going to make them a little smaller and, and bigger if opportunity affords in the future. I've got paper, so I just didn't have handouts uh, for all. So we'll go through this briefly, and uh, we might post this and be able to uh, to the church's website, maybe. And if you're interested and can't get the material, I'll be more than happy to share. If you open a PDF, I can turn it into PDF. By way of brief definition, I just took three words. Sin and lawlessness and transgression. And not to expound or spend a lot of time on it, these are the words that we find from those who are most knowledgeable about the Greek and, and, and the English to do dictionary lexicographer work. That would be from Thayer on lawlessness, the condition of one without law, either because of being ignorant of it or because of violating it. Contempt and violation of law, iniquity, wickedness, opposed to iniquity, personified in order to work iniquity, act wickedly in the same sense manifestations of disregard for law, iniquities and evil deeds. Concerning the word sin, I was very surprised that it was such a short definition given by Thayer because many times he goes into great detail. But Strong's in the New Testament, number 265, he just said a sin, evil deed. But concerning the word transgression, and sin is a transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4, Thayer said, concerning this word, number 3847, properly a going over, like a trespass, going across a property line when somebody's got no trespassing. Maybe the sign fell down and we ignorantly trespassed. In sin, we would ignorantly not know enough about God's word. We'd be doing something we didn't know we weren't supposed to be doing. We might be willfully doing it, willfully trespassing on our neighbor's property because if we saw a car leave and we figured we could go over and maybe get that deer or turkey or... That's wrong if we're trespassing. We're where we're unauthorized to be spiritually if we're in lawlessness. The man may be ignorant of the law or he may be uh, ignorant uh, or guilty, willfully guilty. Those are definitions. This is the last one. It's on conscience. Last week we had a really good lesson concerning liberties and conscience. And we'll talk a little bit about liberties uh, with regard to our own conscience, not so much about our interaction with a weak brother, because that was covered last week. We have a chart on it, but we won't spend much time on it. What do you think of when you think of your conscience? You think a little bird on your shoulder, metaphorically, that you're looking and you're thinking about doing something and it says... No, no, no. That wouldn't be a good idea. It's part of your self-talk. It's part of our consciousness. It's been trained according how we were raised and how we were influenced by people in authority and spiritual or non-spiritual activities. So
So people all over the country and all over the world have different types of consciences. Some are very seared and very hard. And when they obey the gospel, they start learning the facts of the law of Christ. But they say, well, now I believe that's wrong, but I just don't feel like I'd be wrong if I did it. Well, they've got to retrain and reprogram because they have such a hardened, dull conscience that it's going to take a while for the tenderizer to take place of the word of Christ and the love and how big and huge the sacrifice was really that Christ came. And we can understand things academically, but we need to understand them to their fullness so that our conscience aligns with our personal conviction. So when we're about to do something that we really believe is wrong, our conscience is helping. God made us that way. It's a built-in meter, if you will, especially if it's trained properly with the Word of God, to help us turn and flee from sin and look for those exit lights, those escapes. Here's a few thoughts on conscious, con conscience. The inner sense of what is right or wrong in one's conduct or motives impelling one toward no, right action. To follow the dictates of conscience, the complex ethical and moral principles that controls or inhibits the action or thoughts of an individual. An inhibiting sense of what is prudent or good. So if our conscience is trade right, and, and guys, if we start thinking bad thoughts, worldly thoughts, whether we're watching something on television or a commercial comes across or something on the radio, our conscience should help us change the channel. Hit the mute button. Go get some iced tea or something. Come back if it's a passing commercial. Whatever the case may be, if our conscience stays sensitive to our convictions, our conscience will help us. And God is a great God for building us this way and other things that we have that we take for granted from time to time. But why do we need authority from God? We usually preach about Bible authority and how to how to establish Bible authority so you know what sin is. And that is a very good approach. We're not taking that approach per se in this lesson because we've got so much to say about sin and how to try to avoid it in a general sense. But we all need to know how to establish Bible authority for things so we understand what's right and what's wrong. In Jesus' day, it was a fair question. He was asking Matthew 21, 23, uh, who gave you this authority? going around teaching like you're some kind of I'm paraphrasing now, big shot or somebody that's got, you know, some power. They didn't know what kind of power our Lord had. He was meek but he was not weak. He overthrew the tables of the money changers near the temple and in the temple area but he would stand up to the religious people of the day, woe unto you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites and give it to them in the proper way be angry and sin not and be the perfect example for us. But he also had the tenderness to deal with the little children, the Samaritan woman at the well who the Jews normally would hate as a half-breed, and the woman taken in adultery, go and sin no more. Jesus applied the right amount of pressure and tact and exerted the right things at the right time as a master teacher. And I continue to learn from those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ as well as from our Lord and Savior. Man needs assistance from the higher being and all the benefit. Uh, I like golf, and I don't agree with everything that Tiger Woods had done in his life 
in his personal life. Maybe he's made all that right now. There seems to be some changes. But what a phenomenal golfer over the past 20 years. He has a little son named Charlie. And if you saw the news lately, Charlie was in a golf tournament. And it was a nine-hole tournament, if I've got it right. And Charlie's out there on the driving range swinging like his dad. He's got a beautiful swing. And guess who's going to carry the bag for Charlie for the nine holes? All the other parents are carrying the bag for their children. And Charlie's got Tiger Woods on the bag, carrying his bag and, and handing things out. So you think Charlie's got a problem if he's got a shot? And his daddy's been training him, and he turns to Tiger Woods, and he says, What do you think, Dad? I've made this shot, you know, 50% or better. He said, You're in a tournament. It's only nine holes. He gives him the best advice anybody could give because Tiger's been there before, and that's his boy. How much more so will the God of heaven help us when we can turn to him who has all the answers? So why do we need the authority from God? Because he's the best there ever is and ever will be as far as being our Father in heaven. And Jesus Christ is the best Son of God that will ever be. And the Holy Spirit finishes up the triune trinity, the Godhead, the divine nature. And there's nobody else but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are true deity. Not three gods, three in one. Can't explain it all. But similar to a husband and wife being two but being one, there are three, but it's not three gods. One God in three persons, as we sing in holy, 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 blessed trinity. We need the benefit of divine illumination from God to give us in a dark world a light to our feet and a lamp to our pathway. Psalm 119 and verse 105. God as the creator knows how we're built. He knows what's best for us. And he's given it to us in the perfect law of liberty in the new covenant. He's provided a perfect savior, a perfect plan for redemption, to become a Christian, that if we mess up, how to get back right with God and be in fellowship with faithful brethren. He's told a church how to be organized and how to worship, and we shouldn't pollute any of that. Don't be like Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10. They offered strange fire. They were worshiping the same God that we are. They got that part right, but they changed something in their worship. Maybe they thought it would be better. Maybe it was harder to do the regular fire. I, I don't know, but whatever God says do, it's for our benefit. He doesn't give us void commands like Gomer Pyle had Sergeant Carter and it was, dig a hole over here, and I'll be back. And then he would go, and Sergeant Carter would come back, and he'd say, okay, Sarge, what do I do? And uh, he says, fill it in. I want you to dig another one over Yes, sir, Sarge. Well, that didn't make a lot of sense. Maybe he was building character. I'm not sure. But that was just a television show. We're dealing with our soul that's the most precious possession that we have, and we need authority from the Godhead in order to have hope of eternal life because there's only two alternatives in the end. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to Acts the 24th chapter and verse 25. Notice what Paul, in talking to Felix, when this is a ruler now, and yet he's getting audience with him, and there's three phrases that are used here. He, he was teaching him the gospel, trying to persuade him to be a Christian. And it says, But as he, Paul, was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Now that's not supposed to wake us up if there's just a heaven and a hell and there's going to be a judgment day. I don't know what should wake us up. 
But he was helping Felix. He wasn't mad at Felix. He wanted Felix to obey the gospel like everybody else Paul preached to. And Felix became frightened. He was affected by the gospel. But he didn't obey at that time. And we don't have any biblical record that he did. Yeah, we need authority from God in everything we do. Or we're not right. Because God has already given us the law of Christ, the New Testament, the gospel of Christ, the new covenant, which the Hebrew writer says is better promises, better sacrifice, better high priest, better priesthood than the old law. We're not going to take the time to read all of these for sake of time, but in Romans 3, 19 through 24, that's their famous verse in, in, in verse 23, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have, except Jesus Christ our Lord. So we need the forgiveness of sins in order to be restored in fellowship, communion, joint participation with the Godhead, vertically, man to God, and horizontally with our faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. In James 1, verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured, English Standard Version, and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is a recipe for how sin comes about. We can stop things along the way as God has told us how we get to Rome. And when we see us traveling down that road and something's about to give birth to sin, we've got a little bit too far down the road. We should have recognized it earlier, but we've still got time to avoid sin. Oh yeah, Mark, but if we if we sin, we can just say a prayer for a Christian, you know. We can't be so flippant about forgiveness. We need to be sincere and repentance is a change of heart resulting in a change of action. The Lord's hand is not too weak to deliver us, Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3. The point here is that their sins had separated them from God in the Old Testament when Isaiah was talking to people who were messing up under the old law. We need to know that our sins will separate us from our God even though we're under a different law age and a different covenant. And James 1, verses 13 through 15, is we can't blame it on anybody but ourselves. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. I love these two psalms with regard to the Word of God. And then Psalm 119, which we almost had read for us last Sunday. Uh, chuckle, chuckle. Maybe, maybe it was the Sunday before last Almost every verse in Psalm 119, except for about five to seven verses, and that's a long psalm, has something to do with the Word of God, Psalm 119. Statutes, precepts, commands, thy way, talking about God's way. We need to pick up on things that are mentioned in Psalms 1 that our delight should be in the law of the Lord. Now, be honest with yourself. Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't shout out. Would you like to go and get a code book for the law of the state of Georgia since we live in Georgia and start reading next, uh, you know, Monday through Friday? That would be kind of dry reading, I suppose. Code this, section that. There's an electrical code, and if you're going to do some, 
you know, remodeling, you can do some of it without a permit, but if it gets to do this, then you've got to either get a permit or you've got to check in with electric, you've got to check in with the plumbing, other things you can do just fine on your own. But with the Word of God, we need to think of it not in terms like the state of Georgia code. We need to think of it as bread, food spiritually, that we hunger and thirst after that we may know God more intimately and that we don't disappoint Him for not growing properly. And I'm thinking that's something that we have to do in our lifetime is show God we love Him by growing properly, by knowing more about His Word. Now here's a lot of concepts concerning sin. The trespass, we've already talked about that. The boundary. Stepping into an unauthorized zone or unauthorized area. Sin is often described as missing the mark like target practice with a pistol or with a gun, long range or short, or bow and arrow, or some kind of crossbow, or this shooting underwater stuff that I haven't quite figured out yet. It's all about hitting the target and not missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark of following the New Testament as God wants us to. Lawlessness, we talked about it before. Sometimes people say they're committing the sin of. They're either doing it right now or they're living in sin, living in adultery or living in this or, or continuing to practice this that's wrong. Then sometimes people just make a misstep and they slip. That's the difference between someone that cusses like a sailor all the time and someone that said a curse word or took the Lord's name in vain accidentally in the moment of anger. Doesn't excuse it. It's still a sin. It still needs to be taken care of. But that person is not practicing profanity. This other person is walking in darkness, practicing that every day. And so they both need to repent and change and make things right with God. Then there's this matter of omission. It's the one that gets me. God says do good in all these different passages. Sometimes he's specific. That's great. But still, he wants us to do them. But then, there's this openness. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good into the household of faith. To all men, especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6 and verse 10. So what does that do good mean? Well, whatever the New Testament says that it means. It might be a phone call. It might be seeing about some groceries. It might be seeing about either cutting their yard for them if it was a widow and they didn't have any funds or getting the yard cut for them. It might be that a roof is starting to go bad and we just help them get some way to get that roof covered so it doesn't destroy the rest of what's under the roof. On and on we can go. Maybe it's just a ride to the grocery store to get groceries because they don't have a car and they go about twice a month. We either do it or we arrange for it to be done because we care and we love. But we're supposed to be doing good things. Well, who is it that determines what's right and wrong? I think we've established it's God because by the very virtue of default, God is the creator, knows what the creation's all about, and God is in authority. He knows all. He's present everywhere, and he's all-powerful. How are we to understand what sin is without picking up a Bible or studying by ourselves or with others. Psalm 19, we sing it in some hymnals. This part, especially verses 7 through 11, 
talks about being pure and much to be desired, uh, more than gold, yea, than much fine gold and sweeter than honey. That's the way we ought to think about reading the law of God, the new covenant, not like necessarily reading the code of the state of Georgia. I'm still saying we're not supposed to violate the state of Georgia code or the local ordinance, but the fact remains that with God's word, we need to love it. And then the last two phrases in this section of verse uh, 7 through 11, by God's word, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, that is the commandments of the law, the Lord, there's great reward. Now this was written at the time the psalmist wrote it, and the new covenant was not even written yet. It was in the mind of God. He knew he was going to send Jesus. He knew he was going to build the church. These things weren't an afterthought. But at the time it was written, it was just talking about the law of God in effect at that time. So if the Hebrew writer says we got a better covenant, we got a better uh, sacrifice once for all instead of this blood and bulls and goats over and over and over and all that, then how much more so should we think that our law, the new covenant, is sweeter than it was sweeter in the Old Testament by comparison? And how the words are words unto salvation. Do you remember the statement in Hosea 4 and verse 6? After saying that there's no faithfulness in the land, there's no steadfast love in the land, and there's no knowledge of God in the land, Hosea says, he goes on to say, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from bringing a priest to me, and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Now, some people can take it and say, well, give it to me, Lord, but if you start hurting my children, you've really got my attention. God knows what to do to try to help us. And we have chastening that can go on today providentially without miraculous things having to happen that is God trying to help us wake up. I can't tell you if the COVID being all over the world except for a couple of places that they say maybe hasn't had it, maybe they haven't tested for it. I don't know what the case is. If that's God... Uh, tenderizing the hearts of the world for a wake-up call. I don't know that. But God has chastened people before, Christians and non-Christians, being long-suffering so there might be a wake-up call because we're looking at something that's eternal. One of my favorite charts. I think most of you know why if you recognize the chart within the chart. Two circles... This is Brother Bob Harkrider in Basic Bible Doctrines, Book 1, Page 3. So I've got an affinity, as Daniel and most of you know, Laura, others here, about trying to teach best I could from the Harkrider workbooks and, and the closeness of our families over the years. Uh, very good material. And uh, don't just hang out in the question section. It's almost like a commentary, a short commentary when he gets into the books of the Bible to read his comments on various things. But the two full circles represent the patriarchal dispensation that is over with as of Exodus 19 and the Mount Sinai giving of the law. The mosaical ended at Christ's death. So you see the tablets to the left of the word Bible right up above where the patriarchal circle closes and the mosaical begins. And then when Jesus died on the cross, that was going to be it because he had his last will and testament, but a will can't go into effect till after you die. So Jesus dies on the cross, and 40 or 50 days later on the Pentecost, you've got Acts 2 Pentecost. 
And that begins the Christian dispensation, and it's not cut off accidentally. It's open because the judgment day hasn't come yet. And when the judgment day comes, the Christian age will come to an end. Jesus will have the judgment day, and he'll give all the saved up to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15. The bad will go to the bad place, but those who are faithful of all time, all the way back to Adam, will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Notice the pattern, learning from history, Romans 15, 4. God gave the instruction the whole way through in the patriarchal and the mosaical. Why would it be any different now, except that we have the written code? God's instruction could be understood in the patriarchal dispensation and in the mosaical dispensation. Now, somebody, some didn't want to hear it. Some of them lost the book of the law and then they found it in Josiah's reign as we were studying in other, other times when there were good kings. The point can be that who's going to make an argument now that God's word is too hard to understand? Now, there's a passage in there that says that Paul wrote some things that are hard to be understood. Didn't say it couldn't be understood. Just says they're hard, but not the whole covenant of the new covenant. Just part of it. So we should take the same approach that God gives the instruction in the new covenant. His instruction can be understood. And then it's up to man to either submit or to sin. Here are three examples, or two examples, three examples. And now we're going to get into a little bit of command or mandatory and liberty and forbidden. The eating of pork, the purpose of this is to say don't be thinking that what's in the old law, the mosaical law, still applies today. If they couldn't kill, don't think because they couldn't kill that that automatically means it, it's the same. They couldn't eat pork. It was a sin. They had to mandatorily observe the Passover or it would be a sin. So we're in a new law. Jesus tells us not to kill in the new covenant. He got it all covered. But don't go back to the Old Testament or you'll start mixing and get a hybrid that is, is cross-pollinating the, the law agents. And we're not to do that. Or we'll get confused and start observing the Passover and keeping the Lord's Supper. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing in New Testament worship. So the Mosaical Law said in Leviticus 11, 1-8 that the eating of pork was sin. But in Acts 10, when the sheep came down for Peter in the vision and he was being told that he was going to go preach to the household of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, the sheep had unclean animals on it. And it's like, eat. Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's still holding on a little bit. Now, now Peter's over here in Acts 10. He's in the Christian dispensation. He's really having this talk <laughs> and it's like that was the old law if I don't call it unclean then it's not unclean now and of course he went and he preached to the Gentiles and many of them responded to the gospel call the Passover observance and I mean mandatorily as a religious observance was bound in the Mosaic law Numbers 28 verse 16 but in the New Testament, it says that those things in the old law were taken away, having been nailed to the cross in Colossians 2, 14 through 17. So what was mandatory in one law age can be forbidden or can be a liberty. Okay. 
while the eating of more pork was forbidden for the Jew, we're not mandating we have to eat pork. We're just allowed to. It's a liberty like we were talking about last Sunday in the lesson. The mandate in Jewish law to circumcise a male child on the eighth day is found in Leviticus 12, 1 through 3. But it's optional in the New Testament age, so much so that we see the proper example of Paul circumcising Timothy, but not circumcising Titus because of judgment, good judgment, reasonable judgment as to what would be best in taking these younger men on a traveling tour of preaching because circumcision doesn't avail you for the good or for the bad in the new law. But if you didn't do that as a Jew under the old law, it was sin. So we've got the, the citation there. We've already talked about these synonyms, the New Testament, the verses given. The perfect law of liberty and the law of liberty, James 1.25 and 2.12, will be judged by. The gospel of Christ or the gospel of our Lord Jesus in Romans 1.15-17, which is the upper quotation from the Bible in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8. The doctrine of Christ and the gospel of Christ and the new covenant are all synonymous. Don't make a gospel doctrine distinction. Paul said in Romans 1, verse 15, to the saints at Rome, I'm now ready to come and preach the gospel to you. Not to the non-Christians, because I have to preach the gospel to the non-Christians and only preach doctrine. No. Some brethren in the Lord's church have gotten gospel and doctrine and trying to separate them. And that's not good because of the way it's used in other places. In the New Testament, it's a synonym for the law of Christ, the new covenant. 2 John 9 and 10, those verses, because it's only one chapter book, and 1 Timothy 4, 6, the good doctrine, as it's mentioned. And then the law of Christ in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, here's something we might want to think about with regard to what was mentioned in the announcements and uh, sins of omission, myself included. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 in the New American Standard Bible. So if we know a brethren that have fallen away and we're trying to maintain faithfulness and we really love them, we need to be praying for them, but we need to pick up the phone and say, is there anything we can do to get you back to services? Now, we're not trying to pay money or bribe you or anything, but we love you and we want you to be saved. What can we do to help you get out of what you're in to get back right with God? And there's not enough of that going on in the Lord's church today. Okay, I think we've got five minutes left. Is that clock right? Five till? Okay. Y'all are doing good and holding on. And we're actually almost about done. We're going to stop on time today. Another concept or two is the mathematical concept that in any law age, whatever was the totality of what God said on the subject, like of Adam and Eve and what they could do in the garden and couldn't do, whatever the totality of that was, that was God's word on the subject. That was his law. So whether in the patriarchal dispensation or the mosaical dispensation or now in the Christian age, if we study everything on the Lord's Supper that's in the New Covenant, then we have all the data. We just have to rightly divide and discern it to come to the truth of the matter. And then we have a chance at being 
of the same mind and the same judgment perfectly joined together as Paul was encouraging the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.10 when on a different matter they were saying I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas and I'm of Christ and they had preacheritis. So we may not have preacheritis but we need to be careful to, to not be blind to the fact that there are subjects that we all need to study more on myself included. And what we have to take is the totality of what God said on the subject. So in math, and uh, anybody can correct me that's younger than 15 if they're in the audience, um, 1 plus 2 plus 3 is 6. Now, Bubba, I looked over this three or four times to make sure I had this right. It is never 5 or below. It's never 7 or above. Meaning you can't add to the Word of God or take out a little part that you want to and it still be what God wants. So we'll use the Lord's Supper. Well, you know, brother so-and-so, he doesn't like grape juice. And we've got a well that's got a purification. We're just going to go to water. We can still think about the blood of Christ. But we're still worshiping God. We're still quoting the passages of Scripture about Jesus' death. And we're going to use unleavened bread. But we're just going to use water. I mean, aren't we okay? You know, we've got about 80% or 90% of this is pure. And I know I don't have scripture, but after all, it's not commanded to have unleavened bread through the vine. It was just their example. Now, yeah, it was a proved example, and they had an apostle there, and it was divinely agreed upon, and he wasn't going to worship in sin. He would have told them if it was they were doing something wrong, like he did in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. So you see how some people can get tempted to pollute just a little bit, but they don't want to look at the little bitty part. They want to look at all the part that's right and not concentrate. Well, what do you do about the water? Well, I don't want to talk about the water anymore. I want to talk about we got the unleavened bread. It's like, well, I agree with all of that. The Bible agrees with all of that. Let's get back and talk about what's the authorization for the water. And many a congregation, some of the Lord's church, others in the denominational world, have gone by the wayside further than you would ever think to the point of having to split and say, well, you can keep the name of your particular denomination, but you'll not be voting anymore. And you, you can come to our conventions, but you're not going to have any voting rights. But you can still wear the name, but uh, you'll be off our directory. You'll be off our radar because of pressure to, we've got to change with the times. We've got to let people you know, be in the pulpit that are of different lifestyles and things of, of that nature. So... We need to take all that God said in the New Testament on the subject, rightly divide and harmonize it, and then discern the proper answer, and that way we're standing on the truth of God's Word. Then there's a light and darkness concept. So think of this in terms of the blackest darkness on the illustration. Activity number one is totally in the light. So it's the Lord's Supper like we were talking about a moment ago when it's all done correctly. That's the number one in the triangle. But somebody goes out and says, I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to let my children pass through to Molech, and I'm going to burn them in the fire. And there's no authority for any of that. They're not worshiping the right God. They're certainly not worshiping in the right way. All of it's in darkness. That's activity number two. Now, the one we were talking about a while ago, where we're just going to change the unleavened, or the fruit of the vine, and we're going to put water in, that's a yellow three with a slash and a red three in the black. Part of it is right, that's the yellow part of that three, but as soon as we start stepping outside the Word of God, we're polluting it and it becomes all wrong. That we have to really watch out for because that's how sin can creep into our lives 
or in the church? Okay. Y'all listen well. Jesus said that when we follow him, we're in the light. What does it mean when we're not following him or his work? We're not in the light. We'll be in darkness, won't we? So Paul said, we follow brethren as they follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. The sin of omission, I beg you to read Matthew 25. Luke 10 in the Good Samaritan. Levite and the priest walked on by the person that was hurt. They had the ability, they had the opportunity, and they had the responsibility. That's the formula for if God holds us accountable. The parable of the talents is in also in Matthew 25. One talent man, is it a two talent and a five talent? God doesn't expect everybody to produce the same amount, but he expects everybody to produce what they can given their abilities. So the two and the five talent men did according to their ability. The man didn't come that was representative like God would be the master and say, well, I sure thought you'd try harder and, and, and do what the five-talent man. No, blessed, blessed. Two bought two and five bought five. But one went and digged in the ground and hid and then brought it back and said, well, it didn't grow, but I'm giving you back what you gave me. That's what's wrong. It's no effort was made on the part of that person. That was a sin of omission. So we need to consider our own conscience. And the key verse I wanted to talk about, and we'll save it for another time, but you study it, Romans 14, 23. Almost all of Romans 14 is talking about the weak brother, the weak brother, the weak brother, and rightfully so. And we learned the truth last week, as we already have heard it taught here before, that we need to, in liberties only now, not on what's mandatory or forbidden, we have to do what's mandatory or not do what's forbidden, but in matters of liberty, the strong need to bear with the scruples of the weak and not cause them to stumble. But what about if the strong, let's just say we're all in this room, we're strong, have a conscience about something, and we still do it. Does Romans 14, 23 state that that's sin because we're doubting, even if the activity might be right, but we're doubting. Read Romans 14, 23 and study that if you will. And the lesson's yours. I hope it's been of some benefit. It has been to me. You've listened well. And get your song books. Perfect song that I love for the invitation song is Trust and Obey. Why? Because that's exactly what we're supposed to do in the new covenant. Trust God. Trust His word as being right. And then obey what it says. And as we learn something else that we might not know yet, then Trust in God. Ask forgiveness if we've done something wrong in the past. I've learned this new truth, God. It's in your word. And obey. And we just keep doing that. And we're going to work, look up one day. And it's going to be judgment day. And then we're going to be ready to appear. Not because of earning our salvation. There is nothing that God has asked us to do uh, that would earn our salvation where he owed it to us. But we need to do the things that he said do to remain in fellowship with him. And it's not unreasonable. God has never asked anything unreasonable of anyone. If you're subject, though, in the Lord's invitation, need to make a public correction of sin or be baptized into Christ, we stand ready to assist. Won't you come while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected?